I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter, and you might have seen me on the Colbert Report. <laughs> I didn't. I'm direct to the Fifth Element, where I highlight the Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. Why do you have to make a record about me? The R O X A N N E. It's the D I G B I N N E. Bad I can spell. Fuck. Mmm. Be in real strife if you're good. That would have been awkward. That would have been, yeah, that would be interesting. That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, where, where, where were you on the Colbert Report? Uh, Colbert thing? What? Colbert Report don't exist anymore. Yeah, no, I, I, screwed, like, like, I screwed that up. I, I watched the intro the day you gave it to me. The day you told me about it, I, was, I watched the intro and it was all about Russia shit. And I was yeah, just like, no, don't know where they're gonna put hip hop numbers on this, but if you, <laughs> just, if you just search on YouTube, um, uh, Colbert Pepper Pig, then it comes up. It's they did like oh, they did it. I did see that, but I didn't watch it because I was just like, um, I'm good. Yeah, it's 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 like a little skitty thing. I thought it was, uh, yeah. I was told it was in the opening monologue. It might still be, I, I don't know, I can't find it. I'm in, I'm in Australia, I don't watch Colbert show, so um. But I, f- I love I love Colbert, so I was uh, I was pretty gassed. And yeah, he's he, good and good he, he credited man, he credited. He said hip hop by the numbers, which is which is always lovely. There's a there's a little lighter note I'm gonna hit everyone at the end with. Yeah, that's there's some nasty stuff going on, but that was a good thing mm. in my week. That was a really okay. good thing. I was happy with that. Nice little teaser. Hi mm. Ben, how's your week been? What been this week? This week I listened to Ghetto Gods by Earth Gang. Now, the backstory to this record I felt was a central reading. Olu said this. He said, A lot of people got the chance to really sit down, address themselves and take stock of life. Are they who they want to be? Are they on the path that they're going? Are there things that they need to change? Are there new talents and gifts they need to develop? This is about the pandemic, by the way. All this was indicative of the godly part of really just transforming yourself like we have been doing just doing during this pandemic. Olu said in a recent call, um, oh, sorry, I've just cut and pasted this quote from an interview, so that's why it says Olu said in a recent call. Uh, I think this pandemic has been a transformative experience for the entire world, especially for us, our communities, or where we're from. Now, the experimental but powerful essence of this album, to me, I feel, gives weight to developing the self and exploring your own ability to overcome adversity and succeed in whatever realm you choose. And I think that using Two Chains to provide the intro on here was 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 a bit of a trip, but I, I thought it was really apt, especially as it slips into the most opulent song on here, which is Billy. The next song is Billy. And my favorite moments on here are the ones punctuated with just genuine joyous abandon, like the track with Baby Tate, Black Pearls. Bro, that is a fucking, that's an inane banger. Johnny Venus just rapping, shorty got a new body, pussy got a new line, and baby got a brand new body. Like, it's just, pull that game, perfect timing. Like it, And then Baby Tate comes and skates, totally skates. I actually felt like she had the best uh, guest verse on the whole project. Um, I think J.I.D. went absolutely off like really off uh j cole went back to kind of boasting about money which was a disappointment i I thought it didn't really fit at all i do think there's also valid criticism for earth gang not fully embracing the concept that they introduced you know tracks like lie to me are too overt and a bit too simplistic to 
I think truly integrate into the concept that they started this project with. But that's a minor criticism. You know, I really enjoyed this project and I think I'm going to give it a few more spins. I saw a few people saying it was boring. I felt it was, you know, on first listen, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not really understanding this. I need to go and do some research onto, onto what the concept here is. It's good. It's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, KRS-One, I-M-A-M-C-R-U-12. Now, it's actually pretty odd that we're doing Shantae the week that KRS-One drops a tape. Uh, we'll get into that when we talk about Shantae, but I saw someone reference it on Twitter and said that the beats were the worst thing they'd heard on an album in a really long time. And this actually impacted how I went into it. I was kind of expecting to hate the production, and I really did at first. I think I messaged Charlie. I'm like, bro, this feels like Fruity Loop starter pack. Like, this is trash. But... I don't think it's that I saw the error of my ways and I now love the production. I, I still think it is pretty trash. Uh, and maybe KRS-One is engaging in a social experiment. Maybe he's trying to answer the, the question, can a good vocal performance carry bad production? And it can't. It just can't. But one thing is for certain, it at least makes the project listenable. And KRS-One is exploding in aggression and vitality on here. It's not his most lyrically deaf performance, but conceptually it's really sound and relevant. And to me, I don't think he sounds like a bitter old man. He sounds like someone supremely pissed off at the current state of affairs and wants to share his frustrations. Frustrations that come from decades of wisdom and knowledge and experience. I liked it. Uh, I really liked this project, actually. I saw someone say it was project of the year. That's not project of the year, but I enjoyed it a lot. He really carries this, this tape with his personality. It's, it's, it's solid. Uh, Jinx716 and Shay Noir, care for what you wish for. Now, in an interview with Complex earlier this year, Shay Noir spoke about Jinx being an artist in her direct orbit with whom she's working closely and going to start producing music for. And this tape is fully produced by Shay, the, the second such tape after her own After 12 project, which came out in 2020. So it, it makes it Shay's first ever project fully produced for a rapper other than herself. And she's deeply influenced by 38 Spesh and her production continues to level up. I think it really plunges some gritty depths and it drags Jinx into some really challenging subject matter. It's unsurprising that we have songs on here with uh, Shay Noir. I think I don't think Shay Noir's on Legacy, but um, Jinx on Legacy, man, dropping a lot of truth bombs. Because one of my favorite Shay bars is, wisdom don't come from age, it comes from pain and experience. That was from, uh, from the wisdom, which was ironically, or maybe not ironically, that came off the project As God Intended, which was produced entirely by Apollo Brown for Shay Noir. And Jinx slides perfectly into this lane, man, especially on tracks like Wake Up and Bitcoin. I think that Lava Lamp is a standout on him. Shay said that Kanye influenced her style greatly, her production style. And on Lava Lamp, we get this really warm soul sample set behind what sounds to me like major chords, major piano chords, and a really slow Southern-like BPM on percussion. And Jinx is worthy recipient of these, this production, man. Keeping time with this metronomic flow, lyrics with enough jewels to keep your mind engaged throughout. I thought this was a really great first foray into producing full tapes for other artists for Shay. And I'm pretty excited to see Jinx level up lyrically. Uh, Jinx has been on a few Shay tapes so far, and I've really enjoyed his performances. So I enjoyed that a lot. And finally... Finally, The Overload by Yard Act. Now, I missed this when it dropped back in January. I think it dropped in January. Now, I've been spinning it pretty regularly since then, but I'm pretty certain I didn't review it. Um, and if I did, fuck it, it's a double review. But as I've lived with this album more, I've realized that the fraught nature of trying something like this in England. Because when I first went to London in 2006, we, went, we spent a lot of time at Speaker's Corner, which fascinated me. As someone who debated all through high school, we never have that kind of open public discourse in Australia. 
So I got to thinking as I was listening to Yard Act, um, you know, about the pinnacle in this genre, which is Sleaford Mods. And they really sit on the fence between overt intellectual and like the the lager lout layabout using a milk crate to pontificate about trickle-down economics or something like that in the pub, you know. And on one side of the fence is Courtney Barnett, if you know Courtney Barnett, you know, in Australia. The other side is someone like Lou Reed or even Nick Cave. And I think that um, Yard Act really admirably pull off the Sleaford Mods card trick. There's nothing on here that is so abstract you'd feel you need a degree in, I don't know, douchebaggery to wrap your head around it. But it's also the simplicity that's endearing on a deeper level. Something like Tall Poppies is such a wildly undulating tale where you begin rooting for the protagonist, then hating him, then being perplexed by him, then saddened, and then terrified about your own existence, all in the space of six minutes. And the title track slips between train spotting and something more pragmatic like Lockstock where realism meets idealism and then spawns an undertone of nihilism. It's so fucking fascinating. I love it. The the album is a triumph if not for anything but just watching James Smith contort himself so as not to get tied up in knots by every possible contradiction he brings into just he brings it into being just simply by being so diverse, being so lyrically diverse and trying to traverse so many different topics over this kind of uh, this kind of backdrop. There are so many times he could, and he just, you watch him and he's like, he's getting into these corners and like, oh man, he's going to get backed up against the wall with this one. And then he slips out and it, like Houdini, it's like, holy shit, how did he get out of that one? It's it's fascinating, man. I've, as I say, I've been, I've been listening to this album for two months and it gets better and better and better. And I could highly recommend people. I mean, it's not going to be for everyone, of course. It's like basically spoken word over rock. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. If you don't like that kind of music, I understand. But if you do, I think you're going to like this album. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? One for some spoken word and some jazz, to be honest. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah, not bad. that's me. Um, yeah, so I go into nine projects uh, this week. I'm going to speed for a few of them. Um, I also could, could have gone in the 10th actually but um, yeah I'll leave that to next week uh, CJ Fly The Pharaoh's Return spelled in just a disgusting way mm. like yeah that was that just, was rubbish just just annoying just annoying to look at as a title like <laughs> lowercase the capital P H A capital R A capital O oh pisses me off um, but anyway past that it is a solid <laughs> Is a solid four pack <laughs> PB. Um, I love Keep Winning. Uh, good energy on that. Forty Seven Wishes is very fascinating. Of just him literally saying I wish and then stuff like that. Um, not in the you know not in like the style of you know Skilos I wish or anything like that. It's very serious. Um, but yeah, man, it's a great four pack. Um, shout out to CJ Fly, uh, Jinx Seven One Six and Shay Noir. Uh, careful what you wish for. Um, yeah, I think I echo your um, sentiments, especially on something like Lava Lamp. Um, a lot of production on that. Um, I think she was on. I think she did the verse on uh, a verse on Bitcoin. I think that's the verse um, I'm thinking of uh, where she did a verse. Um, mm. So that was solid as well. I thought it was Lava um, but Lamp. yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, was it? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I can't. It's been a few days. It's yeah, been a same, few days. Um, but yeah, uh, regardless of that, she had one verse in the whole thing, so that's all you need to know. Um, but yeah, six songs, 18 minutes. Um, shout out to Jinx on that front. I feel like uh, he did a decent performance uh, lyrically and, uh, you know, production-wise, I, I, the 38 special um, uh, sentiments, I feel, is very apparent here, um, especially in the first couple of tracks. Um, I feel like the beats get 
gradually better and better, I think, for me personally. Um, and then just uh, after like maybe electrifying, just stay on a decent uh, on a decent plateau. Um, so shout to Shane Noir on that front, on the production front. Uh, oh, I meant to say, I want to do something now. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna make it a thing. Um, where I'm gonna I want to. Uh, what's the word? I want to uh, highlight. That's the word. I want to highlight. Uh, whenever we get a piece of work with a female producer in it, mm, okay. So I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it in uh, our good friend DJ Cadiz fashion and just shout out female producer alert, and I'm just gonna do that. So anyway, I could have done it for Shane Noir. So there you go. That's your one. Female producer alert. <laughs> Jay words self connection um so she works with uh, nappy nina who um i remember listening to a while back um and uh, they have an apple double down if you want to go peep that but yeah um she just has this um electronic hip hop fusion going on it's just it's it, it, i describe it as like uh alien club like if an if an alien went to a club, this is what they'd be banging their heads to, you know. Just 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 this super electronic, got hip hop like foundations, but just a lot of like you know synths going on and it's just, it's just a lot of stuff going on all the time. But it doesn't feel erratic. It doesn't feel like noise. You know what I mean? It feels, you know, there's some sort of rhythm to it and some sort of purpose towards it. Um, so this is you know just under twenty five minutes, eight tracks. Um, you know. Uh, it's it's solid. It's solid. Um, it's not my personal cup of tea. It's not something I'd be popping on the regular rotation or anything. Um, but as I said, female producer alert. Um, got a shout out on that front. And uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just nice to see. It's just always nice to see. And uh, you know, it's all, and it's definitely something different. It's not something I listen to every day. So I will say that. Um, surprised you didn't talk about this. Conway the Machine. God, don't make mistakes. Um, yeah, I've Shady yet, Records. Do, 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 do. Um, you haven't spun it. Why haven't mm, okay. I just haven't. Uh, time. Well, let well let me tell you how it is. Okay. Um, it get it's it's it kind of like middles throughout the first half and really ramps up in the second half. Um, I think that has mainly to do with the production for me. Um, the first few tracks just. It's just really just dingy and you know you just Conway you know stuff that you can imagine right really dark um thanks uh thanks uh who whoever I don't know who has the I don't know if it's Gun or Conway that has the final say on this front but a shout out to you for putting Rick Ross on the last verse of a uh, tear gas so I can immediately ski up um on that front yeah, I was appreciative uh, lock loads Lockload is on uh, 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 first track with Beanie Siegel. It's okay. Yeah. I just find that the hook itself was just like really middling and just slowed the whole thing down for me to like a just like a one beat per minute kind of pace. I felt like I was just like luck, load, luck, load. I'm just like man, where's the energy on here, man? Um, Little Wayne on Tear Gas was actually really good. I will say that. Um, yeah, good, actually. drum work, drum work, wild chapters, heater tracks, John Woo flick, heater tracks, um, and yeah, just when it gets down to the last few tracks, so much more Chanel pearls with Jill Scott, ba- uh, Barbas with, I think it's Barbas with uh, Keisha Plum, just just outstanding tracks. Um, I will say that. So yeah, the second half definitely is just it, it's it's really a Taylor Two Halves kind of album. Um, you know, first first um. First half kind of middles, you know what I mean? Just a couple of decent stuff here and there, but it's kind of half and half. But the second half just really comes through. Uh, Homeboy Sad Man, they're in spirit. 
Um, I've been trying to get into the homeboy sad man, and like it's it's going it's going one one of those things that I kind it's of pretty have to abstract, like, man. Pretty abstract. I have to prepare for it, mentally prepare for it. Um, this is this is fine. I feel like um, you know, it's 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 just under twenty two minutes, so it's not exactly you know completely dense, and I kind of appreciate that. Um, and it's definitely going to be something I'm going to be listening to uh, a couple more times uh, throughout the year. Uh, I'm just gonna give that, give him a few more spins. I feel like it deserves it. Um, so, you know, you know I, f- I feel like it's a good place um, to be at um, with with someone like him, where it's not too dense. It's not gonna, you know, just it's not it's not gonna like you know just um, send you into like a, a you know a fugue state <laughs> for for like forty minutes and stuff like that. And you're just trying to like you're trying to like uh, wrangle what he's trying to say. Um, I feel like it's, uh, you know, with a couple of listens, you can definitely get grab what's going on. Um, Earth Gang, Ghetto Gods, um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm tinged. I feel like my experience was tinged by our, our, our friend, our good friend Brandon over at ISOS Central Source. Because, um, you know, he's kind of like the, he, well, he's the authority on Earth Gang. Basically, a guy that's just been listening to Earth Gang, you know, since like 2014, before they even popped off. So um, I kind of went into that with how he was thinking about it, and it was just like earlier Earth Gangs way better than this. And you know, I kind of listened to. I, w- I went back. I listened to a couple of the Earth Gang just to get what Brandon was saying on the psychedelia front, which is what he's kind of into. And I was just like, yeah, I see it completely where you're coming from. Because this, I don't know, man. It just seems very. I asked him, have have Dreamville homogenized Earth Gang? And he said that's not the word for it. I think it's close. It's probably not the word for it, but I think it's close because I feel like these beats could easily be on the next JID project or GID project. Um, I just don't feel like it's Earth. I don't feel like the production has Earth Gang written all over it. I feel like it's just, and you know, I say this by saying, you know, I'm a fan of Jamler and all of their beats are very similar, where it's just like heavy, heavy drums, uh, uh, uh and sa- he- sample heavy. So you know, I'm not exactly saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it is what it is here. And I feel like, um, yeah, I just, I'd, Billy annoys the fuck out of me. Um, I can't, I just, I, I, I can't do that track at all. I feel like Jardid on World Boys was just, it just came and went. I just didn't even, I just didn't even clock. Maybe that was just me. Um, maybe I need to spin it again. But yeah, that verse just went, just, just went for me. I, I think it's probably because the whole track's like five, six minutes nearly. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite track here probably is Smoke Sun. I really like that track. Um, I like the uh, the whoever's at the start of it really great. Um, but here we go. These are the two. These are the two albums I've been I've been waiting for. So first one was Robert Glasper's Black Radio Three. Um, there's a great interview with him and Jamil Smith um, uh, via Vox Conversations. Uh, highly urge you guys to go spin that. Um, really interesting interview and just really interesting in terms of learning what Robert Gasper was about if you don't know what he's about um, and just how he works and the way he talks about his music is just so it comes off as so obvious when you listen to it when he talks about collaboration and everything like that um, but yeah this is Black Radio 3 uh, you know the past two I mean this technically already has a Grammy written on it um, considering uh, the track with her uh, better than I imagined um, is, is already won a Grammy so this is technically Grammy Wardering already uh, but Radio Black Radio 1 and 2 already are as well <clears throat> so you know lineage here and just if you haven't listened to Black Radio um, albums at all heavy collaboration and it just it just is so buttery smooth at every time 
buttery smooth. This is an hour seven minutes, but it just it's like a movie, man. It's great. In tune, that first track with the Miyasuni man, uh spoken word, absolute heat. Gives me how much a dollar cost kind of vibes. Um, you can get it via the production there. You really understand. You really can see that you know that Robert Glasper was in those kind of sessions, and it just translates perfectly. Black superhero with Killer Mike, BJ the Chicago Kid, Big Crit, outstanding. Shine with D Smoke and Tiffany Goucher, banger. Why we speak with Q Tip and Esperanza Spalding, who I just got into last year, outstanding. Just collaboration there. Just you wouldn't see that coming. Two names you just don't see uh, mixing at all. Esperanza just kills that track over with yeba banger everybody wants to rule the world which is is a cover um it is that cover tra- uh, cover track I, f- I forget the band originally that did it um i played it the other i played it the other day i'm just gonna try and find it uh tears for fears um yeah with that that's with a uh, uh, layla hathaway and common and it's just oh, it's, it's perfection i love that track so much um honestly bro the whole album I can't, I can't even, ha- there's no bad track, honestly, there really is no bad track, it just comes through like a dream, um, every, maybe, maybe the last track, Bright Lights with Ty Dollar Sign, I could have done without that, I feel like that was a poor f- last track to finish on, but apart from that, Jesus Christ, outstanding, and lastly, Blue Lab Beats, Motherland Journey, uh, their first album under uh, Blue Note Records, um, and again, more just amazing uh, 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 um, amazing collaborations here. Labels with Tiana Major 9, Kofi Stone. Uh, Gotta Go Fast with Poppy Daniels. Don't Let It Get Away with MV. Uh, Blow You Away, uh, Ghetto Boy was obviously one of my songs of uh, 2021 because it was on the EP last year. Um, still a banger track. Central Loving straight after that. Um, Fela, uh, Fela Kuti on Motherland Journey. Ego LMA on Slow Down. Oh my gosh, bro. It's just, there's so much great stuff all, all the way here. And it's just amazing, um, just, uh, I guess, uh, audio, audio storytelling, so to speak, of just like how they start with something like labels. And it's very, you know, hip hop y, very down to the roots of what Blue Lab Beats is about, very jazzy hip hop. But then when you get to like the middle of the album, it just turns into this like boom, Afrobeat journey. And it's just, well, it's it's a journey. It's a motherland journey. It's a journey to the motherland. It's very obvious, but it's just outstanding when you listen to it. It really is a movie as well in itself. Um, just one out on the dot. Outstanding piece of album. Uh, outstanding body of work. I can't wait to see him live in the cu- next couple of weeks. I'm going to see him uh, in the jazz cafe um, uh, with a live band, and I just I can't fucking wait. I, that's that's that's, uh, that's that's the only reason I'm living for March at the moment. <sighs> And with that said, I, I, this is probably the first time in a while that I've just like gone just completely in with the album reviews uh, this this week. I've, I've had it's been a good week. It's been a great week. Um, but with that said, let's get into the topic of this episode. Um, jump straight into the well, Women's History Women's History Month. I think that's the way it's worded. Um, this this episode is dropping on the first of March, which will technically mean it's Women's History Month. And um, yeah, uh, we're going to get into retrospectives on five uh, females in hip hop, in hip hop history. And we're starting with, um, I mean, close, if not the pioneer, um, if not the first, one of the first. um, Yeah, first uh, just notable female hip hop artist, uh, Miss Roxanne Roxanne Shantae. 
Um, and yeah, let's uh, not waste time. Ben, what have you got for us today? Yeah, Shantae, the uh, the inspiration for the film Roxanne, Roxanne, uh, obviously embroiled in the Roxanne Wars. Outstanding film, by the way. I might it's, drop my review. I'm yeah. going to drop my review there. Yeah, anyway. I'll talk about it a little in bit. In the full show notes if you want to read. Interesting, interesting, uh, very interesting movie, great movie. Part of Juice Crew obviously uh, f- existed before the term female MC existed. And I'll talk about that as well. Uh, but her story includes everyone from Nas to Molly Mole to Bismarcky to Curtis Blow, Karis One. No one did what Shantae did. No one did what Shantae did. She turns 52 in a few days and she was born in Queens in 1970. She never once wrote her lyrics down. She told NPR that she freestyles everything she's ever laid on wax, a skill she recognized was inherent in her at just eight years old. She would sit and watch Nipsey Russell on Hollywood Squares, who, if anyone remembers, he would come up with these incredible, incredible little poems. He, uh, one of them, I, I was just doing some research during a week. I went to see the doctor about a Viagra pill. Now I'm on the run with a loaded gun and nothing to kill. <laughs> That's, he just dropped that. He just dropped that on Hollywood Squares randomly. So Shantae said this. She said, I sat in front of the TV and I was like, I like Nipsey Russell. I like to hustle. So what it did was it started a whole rhyming effect, and I would rhyme the entire day. Now, she originally went by the name Lolita, which is her name, but she changed it uh, when, you know, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how she became Roxanne, Ch- Roxanne Chante. Roxanne's story is, it's, it's one that's sadly minimized to her being the first recognized solo female MC, or because of the Roxanne Wars, or because of countless lyrical references that have come from other artists in the years since. But the truth of her career is one of misogyny, serious misogyny, label frustration, and a powerful person forced to grow up too soon in a really difficult environment. She was a teenage mom. She was abused. She also set the world of hip-hop on fire. She told New York Times in 2016, The Roxanne Chante story is not an easy one, but I've always been willing to share my life. The more you give, the more you get. Now, at the age of 10, Roxanne Chante had her first ever rap battle, and she told Ice-T, My first battle was 10 years old. You can look it up online. It was for 50... But that's another... Just as an aside, there's a lot of Shantae battles online. There's a lot of audio of Shantae battling people online. Uh, Busy B battles on here. There's some Sparky D stuff on there. Obviously, they released... Her and Sparky D released the EP. So there's plenty of stuff if you want to go and uh, listen to her battling. Uh, I'll continue the quote. She said it was for $50. My mother spent 50 cents on the bus. We went to Woodside Projects. I remember the DJ having to take his albums out of the milk crate so I could stand on it and do my delivery. I looked at my mum and asked if I could say bad words, and she said, whatever the fuck you got to get, got to do to get that $50, and I won the $50. Now, this put a battery in her back. Uh, Black Past wrote a really lengthy article on her detailing her time from ages 10 to 14, posting up on street corners in Queens and battling older male MCs and eviscerating them, like genuinely just destroying them. And Billboard published an interview with her in which she said, growing up in Queens meant that you had to be able to rhyme about all rhyme about anything all the time and that she said she would hear other people battling outside and just think to herself as she sat at her window wait until my turn comes and i'll read this section from that billboard article because i think it's really salient shantae's natural flair for freestyling and competitive edge quickly became apparent in battles on the block and family and friends started taking her around the city to compete for money at other housing projects community centers and clubs these supporters would front the entry free and her mother would give them a commission after she inevitably won. I'd almost become this prize fighter, says Shantae. She was still in middle school and regularly winning against older boys and men. 
Now, Tyrone Williams, who was Mr. Magic's producer, claimed that her performative flair was so much that not even, in his opinion, Big Daddy Kane could measure up to the presence that Shantae had when she was performing. And it was such that it scared Busy B so much that he actually told Shantae before a battle that she was allowed to curse when she wasn't so that she'd be disqualified and he would win. He didn't think he could beat her lyrically, so he, he told her to break the rules. And the extra angle to that story, and this is a classic story. I don't know. I've never heard this story before, but she's told it a few times. I'm surprised I haven't heard it. So Curtis Blow was adjudicating that that battle. I think Shantae was 15 at the time, and it was billed as you know, the greatest MC in the world. Whoever wins is the greatest MC in the world. And Roxanne, I'll call her Shantae because Roxanne is not her name. Um, she had accrued so many points that she still could have won despite cursing if Curtis, Curtis Blow gave her a 3 or above out of 10. He asked the scorers what score he would have to give her to lose, and they told him a 2, so he gave her a 2. Now, Shantae said it was the only time she ever cried at a battle because she lost, and she approached Curtis Blow years later and asked him why he did it, and this, bro, this is shit. So he said that in 1985, the world wasn't ready for the greatest MC to be a little girl. They wouldn't have taken the genre seriously. Shantae said he told her, you have to understand that, Shantae. So Curtis Blow felt that in 1985, the fledgling genre of hip-hop would not have survived if Shantae was the best... Mm. So, mm. yes. So her childhood outside of MCing was absolutely no picnic at all. In her, in the movie Roxanne Roxanne, her mother is depicted as an alcoholic who kicks Shantae out of home for skipping school too much. Uh, movie Shantae is presented as skipping school because she has to help pay the bills. Now, in an interview with Vlad, um, she said she was placed in group homes from ages ten to twelve, and as Vlad always does, he pressed her on the reasoning. He didn't press her. He just like outright said, "Why did you? Why were you in group homes?" And she said it was truancy that saw her end up in foster care. But this only helped to further develop her talent as an MC because it gave her even more life experience to draw upon and even more challenging situations to draw inspiration from. She became a fearsome battle MC. Her prowess was such that bouncers would ask any female contenders to smile before getting on stage to reveal if they had braces. If they had braces, they were turned away because Shantae had braces for like three years. People were, were scared of going up against her. Full-time serious MC, she had them quaking in their boots. And all of this, of course, created the perfect environment for her to knock heads off in the Roxanne Wars. But it wasn't it wasn't a contrived start. It wasn't the whole thing wasn't contrived, in my view, anyway, from reading the story and, and, and learning about it. Um, you know, we, we, I was talking to someone, you know, obviously this stuff with Slaughterhouse is happening at the moment with Crook and, and Joel and Royce getting on spaces. And my friend, I was confused. And my friend was just like, I think, I think it's all kind of contrived. I think they're trying to sell records. And it's very clear that this Shantae Roxanne Wars thing, this is just who Shantae is. If you listen to her music, she's just, she just disses. She just disses everyone. It's fucking amazing. So she grew up around Mali Mal. Uh, and the laundromat that she washed her mother's clothes at was below his apartment. Now, she said that Marley Mile had this huge speaker system and he used to pump music out of his window into the neighborhood below every day. And he would dictate the mood. Visual. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And he would dictate the mood of the day based on whatever genre of music he liked to play. So one day he hung out the window as Shantae walked past and implored her to hop up to his studio and spit over a beat he'd been working on. And not wanting to neglect her washing, she was hesitant 
but Marley begged, and so she went up to his studio. Now, it's not like Marley Marl was a nobody at this point in time. You know, he was working at an intern at Unique Recording Studios when he began sampling. Some even say he's the creator of the modern hip-hop sample. That's a whole other episode. But Mr. Magic heard one of Marley Marl's remixes and asked him to become his DJ, and they actually formed the Juice Crew in 1983. So Marley Marl had already been on the radio for four years by this fateful afternoon. And in 2022, it sounds utterly unfathomable that anyone in the world would turn down an opportunity to rap for someone with industry connections like that, the ability to get your music in front of people. But Shantae's experience with rap up to that point had been really up and down. She wasn't making enough money from battling to quit her side hustle of boosting. And really, in the mid-1980s, no one was making much money at all from music. There was an article in the Amsterdam News remembering Mr. Magic's influence, and they said this of the legendary rap attack show that him, Mr. Magic, and Marley Marl would put on. It said, Mr. Magic's rap attack helped validate hip-hop music, which many at the time considered just a fad. Now, Marley Marl became addicted to sampling and would often refer to his apartment as the house of hits. Shante said, Marley was quick to tell any of us if you didn't come to make records and you should not have come at all. Now Shante characterizes herself at this time as having to grow up too quickly and with rap being seen as a fad and not a feasible source of income, it made sense Miley Mole had to really convince Shante to rap over the beat, let alone even begin a career. So she came up to his studio that day at his beckoning, waited for the beat to arrive in her headphones, rapped off the top of the head for six and a half minutes in one solitary take, then left to go back to do her laundry and she thought nothing more of it. Now I want to stop there because like, bro, how did, that song changed the entire genre. That song changed the entire world. And she was doing her laundry and she spent six and a half minutes just freestyling and then that was it. She just left and man, fucking hell. Unbelievable story up to this point. <laughs> yeah, um... Some context I feel is probably necessary is um, when when Shantae is well. Eventually, when we get to it, um, but we've you know kind of already hinted at it, the fact that she you know is she she becomes this uh, just legendary legendary figure. Understand that legendary figure or. Even when you said "best in the world," my eyebrow raised because I was just like, "I love how I, lo- I love how that works." Sometimes, you know, you know, like when um, I, I remember watching the Super Bowl and I was just like, "Why are they calling them world champions? Like, it's it's in America. <laughs> you're you're national champions. Like ge- geographically, they're national champions. They're not world champions because nobody else in the world plays NFL. Uh, so you know, it's called the American. It's American football. Anyway." In the same vein as that, to call to have like you know world's best MC stuff like that, I'm just like, bro, everything's in New York right now. Everything is literally the whole of hip hop at this point is literally based in the five boroughs, and that is it, right? I'm sure you know people. I'm sure there were people rapping somewhere in some places else. I mean, I can get the whole thing about you know how rapping, uh, you know was pre preceded hip hop, you know, ages ago. But anyway, um. For the sake of argument, you know, the fact that hip hop at this point was literally just inside the five boroughs, right? So when Curtis Blow says best in the world, he means best in New York. And that's all that matters at this point, right? And that is that is all that matters. For a long while, everything hip hop, if you weren't in New York, none of it matters, okay? And obviously that changes in hip hop history and you, you guys can figure out the rest. But it's just so fascinating thinking about 
thinking about Shante and where she was at and going to going borrow by borrow just beating lyrically beating people up is a fascinating visual of just watching it just watching a a you just just dominate grown men is so fascinating and that's why i love the film to death because it's just the the visuals of it they just there's some stories where you're just like this shit this shit should be a film and luckily it was because it just makes so much sense when you think about it when when ben tells it it's just like yeah that should be a film and it's great um but yeah i just wanted to put that little bit of context on it, on it of just like you know at this point and for basically when she peaks the best in the world stuff is all just inside the fact that it's new york and that's fine right that is fine because if you're it mate mate being a local being a local uh local love in a city like new york imagine that Imagine being a New York legend in something like fuck, like mate. Even if you're the Knicks, if you're if you're even in the Knicks, there's people celebrating. There's people still wearing John Starks jerseys from the nineties. Okay, all right. If you're a legend in New York, you're a legend in a lot of places. I mean, well, might as well just say, might as well just say the old adage, right? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And you know, New York is that kind of thing. And I think that's the same in hip hop circles. It, you know, Roxanne made it in New York. Shit, make it anywhere. She literally made it everywhere in that in that context. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. And it's, I mean, the rest of the story is really fascinating because, like, I would have expected that to be the genesis and for her to be brought into a system and protected and fostered and cultivated. It's not how it works, man. It's not how, how this story ends up going. But Marley Ma was already on this path of content. So when Roxanne's Revenge and the you know she spat over this, uh, he'd already formed the Juice Crew alongside uh, Williams and Mr. Magic. And the name was derived from Mr. Magic's alter ego, Sir Juice. Now, it was the second iteration of the group and an originally actually included Curtis Blow, but it didn't take off. Now, Marley's Miles' idea of a gimmick was response records. So the first was recorded by Marley's girlfriend, Dimples D, entitled Sucker DJs, a response to Run DMC's Sucker MCs. Now, the idea, of course, was to piggyback on the success of the original and hopefully gain a foothold. This didn't strike until Roxanne's Revenge, but when it did, it fucking hit. Now, UTFO, the brand new Brooklyn rap group, had no idea what was going on with their song, Roxanne, Roxanne, in Marley Miles' studio. DJ Red Alert was enlisted to choose between, for UTFO, uh, UTFO brought him in and said, you need to choose our first single, and the, 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 the choices were Hanging Out and Beats and Rhymes. And he actually chose the B-side to Hanging Out, which was Roxanne, Roxanne. And he began playing it on the radio despite the protestations of UTFO. And Red Alert told them that he just preferred the B-side, so he was going to play the B-side. And DJ Red Alert at the time, who had his own issues with Mr. Magic, uh, you didn't say no to DJ Red Alert. He was massive. So the song became a hip-hop classic and launched the careers of the entire group. It actually charted in the UK, and it was climbing up various U- US charts and helping both Full Force and UTFO gain some much-needed traction. And Kangol Kid told Billboard, while everyone else was talking about how much money they had and how many cars they owned, we said that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get this young lady. That was keeping it real. Everyone had a Roxanne in their world. The song was perfect for a young, slick-tongued female MC to skate over, and the lyrics on the original are standard fare for the mid-1980s. You know, spurned males courting female attention, desperately trying to prove their worth as potential partners. It was the best kind of backdrop for Shantae, 
And here's part of the UTF uh, story, UTFO story. I didn't know about this. I didn't know about this. Um, they told Billboard this, and I haven't seen it in the movie or other accounts that I can find. So UTFO were in line to do a concert in Harlem pr- promoted by Mr. Magic. But when DJ Red Alert started playing Roxanne Roxanne, uh, the single they, the single that eventually blew up, they backed out of the Mr. Magic concert because of DJ Red Alert's like issues with Mr. Magic. So Tyrone Williams said this. So so Mr. Magic had this whole thing ready to rock, and then DJ Red Alert started fucking with UTFO, and they're like, well, we can't have to go over here with DJ Red Alert. We can't fuck with Mr. Magic. So Tyrone Williams said, we were expecting this Christmas money, and now we ain't got it. We're discussing this problem in front of Marley's building and some little girl says, why don't you let me make a tape dissing them? I say, go away, little girl. We've got bigger problems. The girl, of course, was Shantae. The next day, Marley Moore records her freestyling over the Roxanne Roxanne beat in his apartment in exchange for jeans from his then-employer Sergio Valenti. Now, the we in that is Mr. Magic, Tyrone Williams, and Marley Marl, and they were spurned, obviously, that UTFO pulled out of the show. Now, Shantae tells a version of this story to Vlad and Ice-T, saying that she pressed Marley Marl for jeans in exchange for doing the song. There's no way UTFO had any idea how big Roxanne's revenge would become. And Shantae was well-known in Queensbridge, but only as a fearsome battle rapper, and, and even with that, she was beginning to be shut out of clubs and competitions by shrewd older men who wanted to spare the embarrassment of just getting fucking pieced up by on a weekly basis by a 14-year-old girl on stage. She didn't even have the name Roxanne Shantae when she recorded the song. She said She's told countless times, she, so the whole idea of Roxanne is that she inhabited the character of Roxanne from the song. Roxanne's, Re- Roxanne's Revenge, she's Roxanne. And the goal was to become Roxanne, to take on that persona. And obviously it, it flew, so she, she created a whole career around it. But she said almost as soon as she recorded that song, she was getting phone calls from friends telling her to turn on the radio. And, you know, Mr. Magic, Rap Attack, Molly Mile, they struck. And Roxanne, Roxanne, the Shantae version, Roxanne's Revenge was getting spun constantly and building an actual, actual old school viral buzz. This is the kind that didn't rely on algorithms, just relies on contacts and good music. Yeah, organic. And caught fucking super, super duper fire. Like, nothing, nothing in hip hop had ever happened like this before. Nothing at all had happened like this. Uh, Roxanne's Revenge, uh, the, the Observer wrote about this, that Roxanne's Revenge blew up virtually overnight. The first 5,000 copies were created by the record company, recording it directly from the radio. That's how quickly it blew up. They didn't have time to get a master recording. They didn't have time to get stems. They didn't have time to get it pressed. They recorded it from the fucking radio and started selling it that way. And Marley Mile explains in the hip-hop documentary The Beef that it went on to sell 250,000 copies very, very quickly. This is such virality. Shantae said there were 113 official response records and countless more unofficial. Guinness actually named it, I think, at 85. But she said people would just send records into radio stations around the country, and everyone was a rock star. Everyone was responding to Roxanne, and you know, Sparky D is an important part of this story too, because the day after Roxanne's revenge dropped, Sparky D was asked by her producer Spider D to produce a response entitled "Sparky's Turn." This blew up and uh, helped propel Shantae and the song to an even higher level and began a much publicized rivalry between the two. And they would engage in several battles, release music together, and they would even tour together. Now, I just before we move on, I just want to quickly talk about virality because this is a huge part of this story. It's really scary. Like, 
it is really scary, especially if the scope of it is so much bigger than anything you've experienced before. Shantae wasn't even taking rap seriously. She said in interviews before, she never expected fame or fortune for music. She felt that was unattainable and too far out of her reach. So she never bothered to prepare for that. She didn't She didn't like psychologically get ready for that. And overnight, she became the most dissed rapper in America and the most famous female MC in the world in one fell swoop. She told Billboard she was used to battling people for 30 or 40 minutes on stage and she credits her incredible battling pedigree with her ability to handle the response. But remember, she was only 14 years old, man. And I don't know how anyone is set up to deal with that, but fuck, it's insane. Yeah, you thought the control verse got responses. <laughs> this one, that's the thing, guys. Okay, that's probably a great frame. That's a great point. That's a great frame of great reference framework, that people yeah. know. Yeah. You guys probably all know about control and how super fire that went. Times it by 10. That's what happened with Roxanne's Revenge. I'm deadly fucking serious. And localize serious. it. Yep, I'm deadly fucking serious, man. Like, I'm not trying to be, I'm, it's not hyperbole at all. It, it, yeah, craziness. Yeah, um... Uh yeah, I feel I feel like um uh it's a track that I mean literally invented the concept of a diss track, so there's that. But um you know the the it's it's the it's the the history of it I feel and and the weight of that history is just so fascinating to me. And thinking about um again the age that she was at and. The I guess the aloofness in some way that it's just like a lot of this is just like someone asked me to do it, you know what I mean? It just it's just uh, you know I'm just I'm just here. To, I'm just I just want to I just want to do my thing. Um, I mean yeah, I, I can I I want I want to I wonder if like anybody. Well, I'm sure some people have like just that that first pressing of just like <laughs> recording it on the yeah. Wow. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine what a, imagine what a dirty recording that must sound like. Oh my gosh, that sounds so hissy. Oh gosh, that must sound horrible. God damn. But I'd love to hear it just for just for the history of it. Crazy man. So the cracks were beginning to show at this early stage in in Shante. In the Vlad interview, she mentions the Curtis Blow incident during the battle with Busy B. She said in that moment she began to lose her love for hip hop. So the Curtis Blow incident happened about a year after. Uh, Roxanne's Roxanne. I keep saying because because I'm Australian and we're so we're so yokel. Roxanne, Roxanne. I keep like flicking between Roxanne and Roxanne. I'm just gonna say in the Australian way, Roxanne. So, uh, yeah, the Busy Bee uh, battle was just a year after the Roxanne's Revenge came out, and she said that she always felt if you were the best, if you proved you were the best, you would succeed. She said hip hop was still pure back then. It, was, it wasn't just about coming out and proclaiming you were the best, as everyone does now. You had to beat everyone. You had to ascend to the pinnacle before you can even mention the world's best in relation to yourself without being laughed out of the room. So, you know, Shante told Vlad that no one in New York actually wanted to sign her. And she claims, she claims it was because other rappers didn't want her on their label with them. So she signed with a label in Philly called Pop Art. She calls them a genuine gangster label and that they didn't care. They just let her record whatever music she wanted to in whatever way she wanted. Pop Art was also home to Biz Marquis in the 80s. And we obviously know Shantae and Biz would collaborate together. That was a cool little thing in the in the movie where Biz just popped up and said, I'll, I'll do the beatboxing while you rap on stage after they had uh, Shantae and Molly Mole had their disagreement. Um, so we'll talk about the real Roxanne next week. And I will tie, about, tie up the, the Roxanne Wars a little more succinctly. 
but they were just a springboard for Shantae to start exploding. She was dropping a lot of product on pop art. Uh, they just they they didn't care who she dissed. That was the thing I think because Shantae just says names, man. She was Run DMC, LL Cool J, Curtis Blow. She told Vlad she wanted to show how unafraid she was, and a lot of artists around this time were scared to call out rappers by name. So she said she was showing her fearlessness by just name dropping everyone, and she began to take hold of the industry in a very real way. She was a pivotal member of the Juice Crew, and this drew her into some very high-profile beats. There was, of course, the legendary beef between Mr. Magic and DJ Red Alert, who was forming his own version of a crew with BDP. And then there was the, obviously the dispute with KRS-One, which came from that whole BDP thing, the Boogie Down Productions, the Red Alert, the Bridge Wars. And, you know, Shantae actually ran up on KRS-One in a bank while she had a child with her. She passed the baby off to a friend and tried to get into a physical altercation with KRS-One, who told her it's just hip-hop and it didn't need to become physical. So KRS-One had dissed her on track, and uh, that's something I'll talk about in, a, in the in the the outro because it was kind of, it was super nasty what KRS-One did. But there's various retellings of what happened after Roxanne's revenge blew up and how this Im- impacted Shantae's career. She went on tour in support of the song. She said she would travel to far flung parts of the country, get up on stage and battle people. She said every city had a Roxanne. Every city had a Roxanne response record. And while she said this didn't phase her at the time, she also told Vlad that she became one of the most hated MCs in the country. She became a target and a lightning rod for disses, for battles, for negativity. She said this, With every good guy, there's going to be a villain. Being 15 and trying to understand that was difficult at first. I don't always want to be the villain that has to come out. And this really fucked with her. She recalls a conversation she had with her mum, and her mum told her, Everyone loves a villain. The world needs a villain. At a packed show one night, Shantae said to her mum, If they all don't like me, why would they pay to come to a show to see me? Remember, Shantae was 15 when she asked this question. And her mum replied, because they paid to not like you. She said she understood and accepted it, and Roxanne Shante is abrasive, and she stayed true to that character her entire career, but it was totally, wholly unsustainable for for a teenage girl to just be hammered like that all the time. And we end up getting her first album, Bad Sister. So one quick point on what you just said. Funny how all of that comes about afterwards, after... Curtis Blow says, "No, uh, the world's not ready for. <laughs> mm-hmm. The world ain't ready for the best happens <laughs> to be female, and you know, I think in in you can see that in several several ways, right? You can see it in the way of like how uh, she kind of, I guess, challenged that and said, you know what, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it anyway and see what happens, and then in some ways prove Curtis Blow was right because." People literally couldn't handle it. It was just like, uh, she sucks. Like, so, but, you know, you can see it in several ways, depending on uh, how much context you get, I guess. But um, anyway, bad sister. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the, you know, the earlier point you made about how she doesn't uh, write down her rhymes is very apparent in this particular album, um, in particular. I don't know why I said particular twice, but anyway, <clears throat> particularly. Um, yeah, I... I <laughs> It's uh, it's it's definitely uh, 1989. I thought it was earlier. It felt, it sounds like it's earlier. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, apart from maybe something like live on stage, which which comes off as like a uh, which comes off as a producer record f- featuring uh Roxanne. Um, apart from that, this is very very her. 
Um, considering this album dropped in when she was eighteen, is very is a very interesting thing. It's a very interesting tidbit for me. Um, obviously, the, the live on stage all produced by Marley Marla, uh, by the way. And um, yeah, so even when I said I just, it's it, I don't know, it kind of jars me that there are so there are tracks like. I I don't care. Uh, I feel, I think knocking Heine is the worst is the worst ever. Um, what do you want to call it? What's the word for it? Um, euphemism for for sex is that's 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 a knocking Heine. That just sounds that just sounds unappealing. Um, but yeah, I find, I find it a bit weird how it's you know it, it dropped in eighty nine, right? And obviously. It, it, it must have re- must have been some recording like before, uh, before she was eighteen, right? So I'm just finding it weird how there's just so much uh, sexual content in here. I'm not a prude or anything. Um, I don't know the I don't know the um. I mean, she had a she had a kid early, so yeah, I guess so. I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, on her front, <clears throat> I'm sure she don't care. But I just I just found it a bit weird on the face thinking about. It. I was just like, hmm. Okay, I just feel like feeling kind of horny. Okay, uh, um, but anyway, past that, uh, you know, something like Whack It and Skis are heavy on the dissing, um, <laughs> very heavy on the dissing there, <laughs> particularly. But um, I'm more into tracks like Independent Woman. I like that. It's very confident. Uh, my groove gets better. I really like that kind of thing. I really like that uh, that track. Um, but you know, Whack It and Skis is very fun. Uh, wacky it's like six minutes hella long uh, I don't think it has a need to be that long uh, but yeah past, past, apart from that um, it's, a, it's a solid uh, solid track but yeah man it's a, it's a fascinating album and uh, I think it's very evident that she doesn't write down her bars here um, and actually makes the second album more impressive to me um, but we'll get to, we'll get to that um, but yeah man yeah for, the, for, for, for like the first um, I guess studio album I feel like this is kind of what, and considering all the context that we've been given um, during this episode, I feel like uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of what it should should have been. If that makes any sense, I feel like uh, it makes it made sense that um, this was what was on her first album. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, pop out. I'll talk about like the the history and the context around this album because it's interesting. It is interesting if you watch the movie. It's not really spoken about. Uh, there's a scene. There's a scene where she's kind of standing at her car, and I think I think Marley Mall comes up to her. It might have been uh, her her manager, and she's like, "It's been four years, and there's no album." She's like, "It's not happening. You know, this this career is done." And pop art was not working out for Shantae. Uh, she told Ice T that her mother was very naive in the industry, and the deal with pop art was great for creative freedom, but not so good with payment. This is going to be a very common theme in Shantae's career. Shantae said that they didn't want pay, they didn't want to pay royalties, and the way Shantae tells it, it was almost as if her experience with pop art inspired Tyrone Williams and Mr. Magic to create cold chillin' and bring her into a safer label situation. Now, I'm not going to say that that is the case. I'm not going to say that they created it specifically because of Roxanne, but that's the story that she tells to Ice-T. She even says that anyone who wanted to sign a cold chillin' first had to DJ for Shantae. She said, and she said this about just the label situation in general, 
My mum didn't know anything about the industry and they took full advantage of that, referring to pop art. My mum felt like she's not out here in these streets. She's sending money home. I'm going to trust her with that. So I stayed on tour for three years before I even had a home address, had a baby on tour and everything. So this was a source of contention too. And I tell you all this because I really want to set the scene for just how difficult it was for Shantae to get a psychological foothold in the game. She actually had her had parents picketing her shows because she, they said that she was promoting teen pregnancy. Magazines wouldn't put her on the cover right. of magazines mm-hmm. because she didn't want to be on the cover without her son with her. She told Vlad, it was just a way of me showing me being that young but being that maternal. It kept me from a lot of things. He saved my life. I watched so many fall by the wayside. Shante couldn't drink or go to after parties because after the show, I'm going straight to the hotel because I have a baby. He literally saved my life. Now, part of the movie that was true to form was the creepiness of older men. Now, Shante said, everyone aged 14 to 60 would say, Roxanne, Roxanne, I want to be your man. And she said it was creepy. So she had a little man of her own, and it calmed the whole thing down enough for her to tolerate it. Another part, obviously, is the abuse that she suffered at the hands of the father of her child. She told Vlad one of the hardest parts to endure was the fact that she was a teenager, and yet no one wanted to rescue her from it. She also said she'd been hospitalized from the violence and she left the situation when her son was two years old. Shante said it wasn't until her son saw the movie that he said he felt he remembered some of it. In the Vlad interview, she also talks about how essential she felt it was to portray exactly what happened to her on the big screen, to empower others who were stuck in the same situation, to see themselves on that screen and feel the motivation and power to leave those awful situations. It's a deeply impactful part of the movie super super hard to watch fucking hard to watch man that movie is a real challenge but Roxanne Shantae said that this was by design wholly by design this was her treatment for it she wanted it she wanted that story to be told fuck off brave man stupidly brave I say stupidly, I just mean like unbelievably brave. All of this is part of why it took five years for the album to drop. You know, Roxanne's Revenge was released in 84 and Bad Sister didn't come out till 89 under Cold Chillin'. By this stage, so many factors were conspiring against Shantae's success. She was basically already tapped out of the industry by the time this record came out. She was pretty much done. You know, the the first fact was that she was never a writer. She was a battle rapper. She didn't write down her bars. She didn't sit down to craft a song. She never tried to write three sixteens in a hook. Uh, And she lost her confidence in the industry in a huge way. She told Sway that touring had soured her deeply on the entire music business. She was told erroneously that everyone who performed at a show got an exact equal split of the money, regardless of stature and who was the biggest on the bill. That's not that's not true. Like that is just patently unfucking true. Okay, if you're the opening act, you do not get as much money as the person everyone paid to come see. But people were telling Shantae this so they wouldn't have to pay her what she was fucking owed. And she said that she was, you know, she was 14 and people were using this against her. And she said she was tired too. She'd been touring nonstop since Roxanne's Revenge had dropped, performing alongside Cool LL Cool J, Public Enemy, Eric B and Rakim almost always is the only female rapper in the mix. She actually came back from a European tour to find herself embroiled in the bridge wars, thanks to Big Daddy Kane and KRS-One. Like, she she didn't even know what was going on. She comes back from a tour, and she's a fucking a sexual punchline in a KRS-One song. Like, bro, what the fuck, man? She's fucking 15, 16 at this point. It's awful. 
she was obviously in the abusive relationship and she told Mickey Hess, uh, those five years felt like 25 years. I lost so much of my childhood and my innocence. And in the movie, we see her manager fleecing her out of money and hopping in a car with Marley Marl, leaving Sparky D to pick up the pieces. In reality, Cold Chillin' was not the inclusive family vibe that she's spoken about with the benefit of time and distance because when she did interviews at the time, she said a lot of her innocence was actually lost to <coughs> Tyrone Williams, who was her manager and label head, who hid her true earnings from her hid her true earnings from her. She was also wasn't fond of uh, Lenny Farshelberg, the cold chilling president, saying she had very few good memories of him. He was often causing a lot of separation in our crew. And everyone was hammering Tyrone Williams. Marley Miles sued him. Master Ace said this, Fly Tie was Shantae's management and he was getting paid on both sides of the table. Now, Master Ace said that Shantae was being paid weekly by check and Master Ace felt this was a method of avoiding avoiding paying Shantae what she really deserved considering how huge her music and touring was so by look man if you're tired listening to that imagine how fucking tired she was going through it Jesus Christ by the time the album came out she was over the entire process in an interview in 1989 with Gregory O'Brien he notes that she seemed really edgy and jaded despite her still incredibly youthful mindset and you know the album was well received critically but it tanked commercially uh, chart of 52 on the R&B hip-hop chart, but didn't impact the Billboard 200. I'll read about a, a little excerpt from the Gregory O'Brien book. She told me about a track she'd written called Fatal Attraction, in which a young man married working, a young married man working on Wall Street cheats on a young black woman. He's nice, well-groomed, drives a Jag, lives in the country. He cheats one too many times with the wrong girl. She gets tired of it and cusses his dick off. Barely concealing a yawn, Shantae adds, that's the whole record to tell you the truth. Being one of the first women to grow up early in the hip-hop world has taken its toll. And it fucking had, man. And 1992, we get a second and final album, The Bitch Is Back. Yeah. Um, some commentary I've seen on this uh, particular album is like how it responds to what was going on at the time uh, in overall hip-hop uh, history. Considering, obviously, you know, West Coast came here, came in at this time. Did you around 92, obviously, as we know, uh, as we talked about before. Um, and, uh, obviously how, you know, I guess dirtier, um, <laughs> hip hop got, uh, hip hop got at that point and obviously, uh, got, um, even more in some ways. Um, but obviously just like, you know, very sexually explicit shit, which is interesting because I'm, I was literally talking about a track called Knocking Heine for fuck's sake, like <laughs> in 1988. So, you know, um, I, considering that, uh, considering that, I just don't, I just, I don't really see how um, it kind of um, it, it forced uh, anybody uh, in Shantae's uh, um, orbit to say, you know, oh, you, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be more dirty, you gotta be more dirty. So, so no, I'm so really bit, it's been that, it's been that. Um, but yeah, uh, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, something, you mentioned something earlier. I forget what it was, but yeah, it lost me. Um, but as pertains to this album, uh, way better album. Just a general listen. Um, I think it's like under fifty minutes or so. Um, great production all round. Cool G rap. Uh, only feature on here. Um, got Cool G rap and Large Professor on here. Mister C, Granddaddy IU, Grandmaster Flash, Track Masters, the boys, yeah. Track Masters. Wow, hey. that's early. Ninety two. 92, yeah, you know, 
Um, but yeah, uh, I like I like the I like the album overall. I feel like it's really solid. Um, just a little piece of work. Ten tr- ten tracks, all killer no filler kind of thing. Big Mama's very fascinating. Of uh, it's like one bar that caught my caught my ear for how basically just shitting on uh, Queen Latifah. I was just like, okay, interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, Moni Love as well. Um, don't cut for Moni. Yeah, don't cut for Moni. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just it, and it goes back to what you're talking about. Like she just dis you just diss anybody and everybody. Um, and uh, I like I like I rate that. I rate that give no fucks attitude towards it um maybe you can argue it gets to the point where it's just like oh right she yeah she, she yeah she just mentions everybody bro it's like it's, don't take don't take it too hard um but obviously beforehand people did take it seriously so and it'd be so take take how take what you will from that um but yeah man uh i love stuff like uh gotta be free uh straight razor shanty gets wicked brothers ain't shit brothers ain't shit Especially with the context that you've given throughout this episode, um, just really hits um, stupidly hard. Um, I feel like, considering that's in technically her last ever track on a on our last ever, ever album, um, is very telling, and uh, it's very poignant as well. I think um, in the grand scheme of things, um, yeah. I just, I just. Uh, I do enjoy this album. It is a solid. It is actually a really enjoyable album to uh, to to spin. And um, actually, I remember what the point you said. You know, the fact that she isn't. You know, she was. A, she was, in essence, a battle rapper. And you know, there's. I feel like there's uh, always that thing. Of, I find that so fascinating. This is kind of a. This kind of a tangent, but I do find it very fascinating when there are rappers that just specify in battle rapping you know in, on like a url and stuff like that right and they can do it and they hit and all the punchlines are smacking everybody's going oh but then put them in a booth and it's different right it's not it's not bad but it's not great in terms of like constructing a song and stuff like that uh, it's interesting how technical when it gets down to the technicals um it can become very glaring um and it came it came very glaring to me personally that she wasn't like an album artist on bad sister but i do feel like this album uh does a little bit better on that front um in in terms of her performance and just have her uh, uh her focus on the technical side of things um but yeah man it's 92 um a lot of good albums in 92 as we know um so yeah i mean it, it, it didn't uh it didn't uh, you know do much commercially um but regardless of that it is still um i feel like a very solid album uh to listen to and a very poignant one especially uh for someone like Roxette. do you think i mean it's pretty clear that her career was deeply mismanaged do you think that if her career yes. hadn't been so badly mismanaged and she'd been around the right people <laughs> she could have been a genuine commercial force and she could have transitioned from battling into making music that, you know, we talk about next to The Chronic and Warren G yeah. and these kind of artists and even like early, you know, uh, like illmatic Ready to Die kind of stuff. Do you think that that would have ever been possible? Because at one point, like it sounds crazy for you for anyone to say that, right? Because Illmatic's yeah. the greatest, one of the greatest albums ever made. Roxanne Chante was the biggest MC in New York for a long period of time. So, you know, it's it's not inconceivable that she would make music like that. 
I think it's. I think on that front, it's more about. I think the reason why something like Roxanne's Revenge and her, you know, very very early stuff as a, as a as a youngin was more about the audacity of it. Right, it's the fact that oh, this is this is teenage girl coming at people's throats. Like what? Like it's just it's 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 that I think it's more about the intangibles in that phenomena. Um, I feel like if she wanted to do an album, she would have already. Um, considering that her career at this point is more um hosting. Um, I think she's literally hosting tonight as we record in Baltimore with a uh, Big Daddy Kane and a couple others. Um, I I well shit, I saw the Juice Crew. Oh, four, four, five years, five years ago. Fuck. Um, twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, in O two Kentish Town, which Shantae is the mo- She hosted. She oh, hosted. Cool. Yeah, um, she's a host. Yeah, she, 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 she was the first person out, bringing out, uh, introducing everybody. Craig G, MC Sean. Um, I was, and this is another tangent, personal tangent, but I, I've never regretted a night so much, not in going but in not staying because I didn't see the fine print of the fact that the show was going to go until 2am when I originally thought it would go to 11pm as most shows in London do. So with that said, I missed, believe it or not, Big Daddy Kane and (laughs) Coochie Rap. I was so fucking devastated. I had to go home, bro. I I lived lived in Southampton at that point. So I had to catch a train or fork out 50 or so quid or however much it costed to, to just get a hotel for the night and somehow finesse a way to get to Southampton back again. Um, so, and I wouldn't, I didn't want to risk that. So yeah, I missed, I, I, I mean, I went to a juice crew show with everybody there. I, I think apart from Master Race, if I remember correctly. Um, but most notably I missed, I had to leave to get my train I miss Big Daddy Kane and Cool G Rap, and that is the most regrettable thing I've ever done in my life, uh, hip hop wise. I, uh, I've it, it'll only be it'll only be the wound will only be healed unless I see Big Daddy Kane and Cool G Rap like live uh, at some point. I don't know when I'm gonna when that's gonna happen. Fuck knows, but um, yeah, I've, I've I don't think they've come to UK since. So, and and for damn sure the whole Juice Crew ain't coming back uh, for one more time. That was it, bro. That was it. Um, but anyway. Uh, answering your question again, um, uh, yeah, I feel like if she wanted to do, um, if she wanted to keep doing music, she probably had the ability to, um, find people and do so. Clearly, she's on decent terms with most of the people mentioned, um, during this episode. Brought her under the bridge, I guess. Hopefully, um, considering she, you know, does shows with the likes of Big Daddy Kane and the rest of the Juice Crew, right, and is able to, you know, do shows with them. Uh, on that front, I it must be fine. Um, but you know, there's someone for I, I compare this to someone like uh, to someone like Master Race, who you know had a, a I think a lot of um, hardship, not not as much as Roxanne for clearly, um, but had his own fair share and managed to make something uh, make some other stuff of his own throughout the years, throughout the past decades. Um, and they have aged gracefully, I feel, and most of them. Um, 
he uh, yeah, uh, he does it. He didn't. Uh, I think he didn't even like disposable arts at some point. At some point, I might I might be wrong on this particular factoid, but um, uh, or, or that he couldn't, or that he didn't pick the tracklist, something like that. Um, he didn't have complete control all the time, um, but he still did it, and that's you know something that we always ask of you know anyone in the arts in general. It's like why do you do this? And some people will say for the love of it. Um, so I would hazard a guess to say that Roxanne did battling for the love of it, but didn't do the, you know, the 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 the, the recording artist side of it uh, for the love of it. Um, she, you know, she she wanted to do laundry that day. She needed to do laundry that day, and you know, just was because she got begged to go to up to Marley's studio. She did it, and like you said, she recorded it six minutes, and you know, didn't think about it. I don't think she was ever thinking about that kind of stuff. Um and did it be- and did it because it just seemed like the natural progression of things, right? You you know, you're going on tour, you're doing a couple of tracks, maybe I should drop an album because I'm hype. You know, it's just logic, right? Logic states that you do that. Um, but I don't think she was uh that kind of that kind of rapper. And that's fine, you know? Like some people about rappers, some people just do spoken word. Um, some people, <laughs> you know, some people freestyle. Um, you know, shout out to someone like a, off the top of my head, someone like a Supernatural, who uh I saw live once, and he does you know freestyles and he DJs as well. But he literally the the thing he does his like USP so to speak is that he raps with whatever you give him. So he like you know like just throw just throw him a wallet on stage and he'll be like a bit like da 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 wallet. Ah, and then like someone throws their shoes like uh, rocking my Jordans and it's like he just constantly goes for it and it's like and he go- he does it for at least like 10 minutes it's crazy um, and that's his niche right and that's a very niche example but I feel like that's the case when it comes to someone like Roxanne Chante where she was a battle rapper she enjoyed battle rapping and did recording because it was the logical option at that point but all it came with was complete heartache bullying misogyny pedophilia in some way and uh and yeah man it's uh, i i'm not i'm not i i can i can understand why because there must be a fuck ton of neuroses in her like to to even think about trying to do an album now imagine that like that's a lot to unpack um not to say you know not to <clears throat> not to you know tell her tell her you need therapy or anything but you know i would fuck <laughs> If I wanted to continue on that front, um, but yeah, I hope that answers that question. Yeah, I mean, before this album, like, oh, sorry, she, sorry, Ben. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. I uh, I've not been sleeping. I've not been sleeping well. It's not because of you. I've just uh, I was mid yawn. Fun, funny you, enough, uh, I funny enough, I, I got some sleeping pills. Uh, CB some CBD uh, sleeping pills uh, today. So, oh really? Yeah. I'm gonna see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I just saw him advertise. And I was like, you know what? Let's give him a go because I never I never sleep great anyway. So. Well, keep us updated. Yeah, well. Keep us updated. Um, yeah. So anyway, before this record, she was she's she retired. Like there were actually things that said that she had genuinely retired by the time this LP came out. Uh, in the Icons of Hip Hop book, in a section that's much disputed, uh, the writer actually claims that Shante had signed a deal with Warner Records, and her education would be financed by the label. That was not true. Shante actually came out and said that years later. That was uh, that was falsified, but 
basically, you know, she'd checked out of, of everything by the time The Bitches Back came out in 92. Uh, her career was being propped up by the label. Secondhand accounts said that one of the major reasons or one of the major problems was that because she never wrote her lyrics down, it meant there were never any records of her being the first to say certain things which meant her lyrics were being stolen without repercussion. She didn't sign contracts with her producers or her managers and was unsure about publishing and writing credits. So producers and hangers-on would write themselves into her credits and take chunks out of her publishing. She said other artists were listed as, listed as writers on my music because they were present in the studio. This album leaves a real sour taste in my mouth because of all the hands in the pot and the fact that Shantae was so disconnected from the industry by this stage. She left. She left rap. She left recording. She left labels. She left contracts. And she said this in Icons of Hip Hop. I went to every seminar and skills class so I could find out what was stolen from me. I went back to my producers and asked them to present a contract. I never signed contracts, so they could not come up with them. When I told them if they falsified contracts, I would fight them in court. They'd offer me $1,000 to sign my rights away. I thought to myself, they really think I'm stupid. Once I saw that these guys were the same deceitful, deceitful people they were when I was rapping, I decided to take it all. I ended up owning all my masters. The way she did that is the source of much conjecture. Mickey Hess quotes her as saying that she strong-armed people financially and legally. Um, he recalls the story of Janet Jackson using Shantae's voice on Demeter Joe and Shantae waiting months before finally going down a legal route again. She would often go down legal routes in, this, in these ways. There isn't a lot of interviews where Shantae details the legal dealings she engaged in. Now, um, you know, look, I'm, the whole thing just, it just pisses me off so much. It really does piss me off so much because every time there's an interview with, with Shantae, they're like, well, why don't you get the credit you deserve, Shantae? Why do you think that you, you know, you, bro, this is not, that's not a question to ask Shantae. That's not Shantae's question to answer. Shantae did everything she could do. She tried her absolute best. And it's not it's not her question to answer. That's, you know, the people around her need to answer those questions. Ridiculous. And she told Vlad that she hasn't made records in over 30 years. She has no she was hammered by the industry, man. She was locked out of what should have been hip-hop immortality by just shit-tier behavior from the people around her. And she said, you know, she hasn't made records in over 30 years, but because she's been sampled so many times, she's actually been sampled at the very least that I could find on who sampled 150 times. Uh, she, she makes a lot of revenue still from hip-hop music. And that's another thing that I want to talk about one day with sample snitching. Like, you can't say sample, sample snitching is bad and, and you can't sample snitch and then at the same time say, well, it's great that Shantae is able to earn a living off iconic music that she made in the eight it's that's cognitive dissonance that doesn't make sense it doesn't work so uh you know look man she said to me i'm uh, sorry she said to me i wish she said to me i wish i'd interviewed shante she said uh it was either the breakfast club or ebro i can't remember she sees her legacy in every female MC who came after her. She was the one at the very, very, very front line. She was the most advanced. She was there before the term female MC existed. You know, and she said, she said to Mickey Hess, we had so few women at that time, but their voices were so loud. It's a shame that so much current rap music has men giving out directions to women on how to degrade themselves. Shake this, drop that. 
And, you know, Shantae's story is far more influential than a gifted battle rapper sticking it to males and embarrassing them on stage. She was a lightning rod for everything wrong with the industry and the way that society treated young women in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So much so, Karis one felt he could say a 16-year-old Shantae was only good for steady fucking when he was 22 years old. You know, that Shantae could be dating someone she said was 18 years her senior who was beating her and who everyone knew was beating her and still not be rescued by the copious amounts of grown men around her with their hands in her pockets. She's a pillar of strength and perseverance, of power, someone who raised a child as a teen mum whilst being exploited and abused and who kept her cool, who kept her focus and came back around to own her own masters and get paid every time someone samples her iconic music, who beat breast cancer twice and works as an ambassador for the vulnerable. She is a powerful, iconic human and I salute her with everything I have. And this story is intense as fuck, man. And shout out to Roxanne Shante. Yeah. Put a bookend on that, boy. Mm. All right. Yeah, we'll finish there. That was great. Wonderful. Yeah, I have literally nothing to say on that front. That was perfect. Uh, mm. So we should leave it there. And uh, what is your long-awaited light and open? Oh, it's gonna, I'm going to get ranty again. So... Back when I only had about, you know, everyone everyone who's followed me knows that people steal my stats all the time. Back when I had about 10,000 followers, there was this account called Daily Rat. Well, there still is an account called Daily Rat Facts. And they used to steal my stuff constantly. They would just cut and paste tweets, post it as their own. I only had 10,000 followers, 5,000 followers, so I had no recourse. And these weren't, you know, these weren't uh, so-and-so has X amount of monthly listeners on Spotify. These were proper hip-hop numbers, original analyses, like going through lyrics, going through charts, you know, discovering shit that no one else was discovering, no one else was putting up. And I would always DM them and be like, can you please take this down? And they would never, ever reply. Never would they reply. And it got to the point where I was started to get enough followers that my followers started hammering them in their mentions. So they stopped doing it. They blocked me on all platforms, blocked me everywhere, never said anything. They must have done it about 20 or 30 times, stole my stats, and just blocked me. And... I thought, you know, this is a massive win for me because they stopped doing it and obviously I'm at a level now where I can defend myself and I have a bit of power and a bit of bit of sway. So I was with my partner last week and we're talking about creating a website for Hip Hop Numbers and um, we're just looking up domain names and I was like, I'm sure Hip Hop Numbers is probably already taken. So we searched for it and guess who took it? Guess who took hiphopnumbers.com no fucking way that's hilarious so then I'm like well and then I, by you, this stage you know I'm, like, I'm like say how do you know that because you type it in and it, it redirects to their website it actually redirects to their shop oh they read oh they just copped it just to redirect wow so if wow. you go on it it redirects to that's some um, top tier fucking shithousery wow it, that's so it redirects to this thing called Rap Scores, wow. which is a rap book, rap hip-hop grade book for $20, which is not anything to do with me whatsoever, right? And if you go down the bottom, Daily Rap Facts, LLC. So I'm like, okay, I see what the vibes are here. Type in hiphopbythenumbers.com. Same fucking thing. Same fucking <laughs> website. <laughs> Mm. That's so wank. Hey man, if you want to forward slash hip hop numbers, I'll give you mine if you want. 
forward slash? Yeah, fifth element forward slash. That's what I'm saying. Well, I actually bought um I bought the domain the domain name HH numbers uh yesterday. So HH numbers. I mean, okay, it works. I think it's not, it works. It's not perfect, but it's, it works. Well, perfect is been stolen from me. So yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the, it's like those things in it where like uh not the same clearly, but um I had uh I wanted Chili Charlie twenty two on my socials for like the longest since I've had socials, which has been about ten years now. Um, and I never I could have ne- I could never get twenty two on Twitter um until I looked at it I took a cursory glance at it a couple of years ago and I was like, oh, it's free, it's finally free. I could have twenty two. So uh, yeah, that's great. That vindicate vindication. It's just it's just it's just good to have both, you know what I mean? I could just say twenty two on this and this. Doesn't have to be RT on Twitter, twenty two on IG. It's just the same. I like this. I like the I just like the neat uh the neat the neatness of it. But um, yeah, HH numbers. I mean, it doesn't roll off the tongue great, right? but you know, it's, it gets the job done. But you know. it gets the job done. I mean, that's you got to do what you got to do, right? Like, I don't, I, I don't actually think there's anything better than that that's available. So probably not. There's zero probably chance not. I'm fucking getting in DMs with daily rap facts. I'm not. I'm not going to go down that path. Have you not tried um like hip hop numbers dot like dot something like dot well, like different dot? They exist, but I don't really dot think- net. Yeah, look, man, I think that people are pretty... Uh, Hip-hop dot numbers? Oh, that'd be lit. Yeah, but I think the problem is people are scared. People are scared of fucking phishing and malware, and if it's not dot com, everyone's like, wait a sec, is this legit? Like, I certainly am like that, and people, when I talk to really? them, they're like, yeah, I don't know, dot, dot net, dot co, dot, all these other dot, feels like dot com's the safest and the, the easiest. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway. Random one I want to throw at you um, before we finish. What's the goat ice cream? The goat ice cream is cookies and cream ice cream. Okay. okay. Admirable choice. What do you think it is? Um, I don't mind cookies and cream. I like I like me some cookies and cream. Uh, Hagen does do great cookies and cream. Mm. Um, I feel like they do the best. Um, I don't know. I feel I feel like whenever I go into a spot, I always hit up mint chocolate chip because I rarely see mm. a good mint chocolate chip. Uh, it has to be in a, in a proper ice cream spot, ice cream spot, for me to get mint chocolate chip. I don't know why. Um, if I get it from like the corner shop, like it just yeah. never works for me. So if it ain't, for, and that, that's the only it's the only time I get mint chocolate chip, and it's just like for the good when they when it's done right, it's done fucking right. And I don't, I hate the people that go, oh, it tastes like toothpaste. I'm like. You got yeah. some decent toothpaste, bro. I would love that toothpaste. Give me yeah. that. To- give me that toothpaste. I fucking love that. Yeah, knobheads. Um, a lot of people yeah, don't no, like just, it, man. Oh, you know, if you just say you don't like it, then it tastes like toothpaste. What kind of stupid conflation is that? Um, but yeah, no. I just saw one. I just saw a tweet of it. It was like, "What's to go ice cream?" It had like vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, mint chocolate chip, cookie dough, cookies and cream, butter, pecan, rocky road, and pranies and cream. So I was, I was just. Uh, I'll just throw it out there. Um, shout out to Ryan who said mango, and I was like, "Well, that's a bit of a cop out because mango is top five anything. Like mango yeah, flavored but... juice, Aww. mango flavored, mango flavored anything. Just mango is in general top five. Everything. That's a top that's a whole everything. other vibe though. If you're eating yeah. mango ice cream, like that's a yeah. that's a different. You're on a different plane of existence at that point. You're fucking oh. on a tropical island somewhere. Just summer summer day, summer eighteen degree at night. 
give me some mango. Oh yeah, give me some mango ice cream. Oh, that will kick off. Oh, that will end a night. Nice. Love it. Mm. Love to see it. And what I said, we shall leave it there on ice cream. <laughs> if only we did the Rayquad episode now, that'd be great. I know. <laughs> or Gucci. I, I should have saved it. Should have saved it. Should've, oh, Gucci, man. Yeah, should have saved it. Oh, we're not doing Gucci, bro. No. That's we are one day. For, with how many albums? <laughs> yeah, over, right. How many parts that? is that? How many uh, parts is that? It's 20? over a hundred. It's over a hundred exactly. projects. <laughs> exactly. You have to do like 10, 10 an episode. Fuck. Like, oh my <laughs> gosh. I cannot listen to that much Gucci, man. I'm sorry. Can't happen. Not gonna happen. <laughs> sorry, not gonna happen. If you want, pick 10 and we'll do it. Like, just, I'll, I'll do that. But I'm not doing a hundred. I'm sorry. That's not No, we wouldn't, go th- we wouldn't go album to album. No point. <laughs> I'll be stupid. Uh, and with that said, with that decoration stamped, Ladies and gentlemen from the Fifth End Podcast Network, this has been Digging Digits. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Charlie Ted on the Fifth End. I have been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Or HH Numbers. And because Ben hasn't plugged it, um, go peep the Beauty of Independence, where he's just recently dropped um, the episode with Zach O'Malley Greenberg, uh, formerly of Forbes, and obviously the inventor of the Forbes. What was it? Hip Hop Cash Kings? Whatever it's called. Hip Hop Cash Kings List. Hip Hop Cash Kings List, um, which is basically just um, counting up who, who got the most money in hip hop. You only uh, get to year. see my face too, and you get to see Ben's face if you hit the YouTube one as well. So um, you know, if you if you want to see what a, uh, if you want to see what Ben looks like, yeah, there you go, go for it. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. We shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me, music for the show, this piece of mini games by bonus points, thanks to Joel Records for the ability to use. Socials for Infinement, Hip Hop by Numbers, bonus points, and Joel Records will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a Fifth End Podcast Air Production, thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time. Digging in the Digits. <laughs>